Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Bible's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. For the last five weeks, we've been teaching on spiritual warfare, defining what it is and what it is not, and how it affects your everyday life and how you can be victorious no matter the battle. We said spiritual warfare must be viewed through the lenses of the triumph of Jesus Christ. We're not trying to get the victory. Jesus already won the victory. We're just enforcing our victory. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Just to do a little bit of a review, we said this word brother also refers to military men who were brothers in battle. This was the highest and greatest compliment that one could be given as a soldier during the time of Alexander the Great. Thus, to be a brother meant to be a person that was a true comrade. Through the thick and thin of battle, these soldiers stood together, achieving a special level of brotherhood known only by those who stay united together in the heat of the fray. This was also part of what Paul had in mind when he wrote to the early church. We said this phrase, be strong, comes from the Greek word endunamu, which means to empower, to increase in strength, to enable, and to infuse with strength. This word is combined from the Greek word dunamis, which means explosive, miraculous force or the ability to do miracles. So we said endunamu means to be infused with supernatural power. So how are you going to be strong in the Lord? How are you going to be empowered by the supernatural power that comes from him? Go to John 15 and look at verse 4. A lot of times we read the word of God and we just want the great things of the word of God to be automatic in our lives. But we don't realize sometimes that we have a part to play. We just want God to do everything. And we say, God, why aren't you doing something? And he's looking at you, Christian, why aren't you doing something? John 15, verse 4. Jesus said, abide in me or continue, remain in me, stay connected to me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. That includes spiritual warfare. You cannot be victorious in spiritual warfare apart from Jesus. So that means you can't fight in your fleshy efforts. People make up all types of weird things about spiritual warfare. One of the older weird things was in the 70s that said, well, to have really effective spiritual warfare, you got to get on an airplane, and you can only battle the demons when you get to 30,000 feet. That is crazy. That is not an idea that came from Jesus. You cannot be effective in spiritual warfare apart from God, his word, and his leading. Because if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Earlier this summer, we said that God does not cut people off. People cut themselves off from God. And so people who cut themselves off from God will wither and look just like the rest of the world. You will wither in battle unless you remain connected to God. 
In 1 John 4, 16, we learn that if we're going to abide or remain connected to God, we have to continue and abide in love. So let's look at those scriptures real quickly. 1 John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. If you do not know the love God has for you, if you do not believe the love God has for you, and if you don't continue in the love God has for you, you will not be effective in spiritual warfare. Because you're battling and you don't believe the one who backs you loves you, you have no hope for victory, no confidence of victory. Because if you really don't believe God loves you in a very practical, real sense, you think God is your enemy and Satan. In order to be victorious in this life, you must know and believe the love God has for you. As we're about to read in Ephesians 6 again, remember, reminded us, our battle's not against flesh and blood. Satan is your real enemy. That means you can't stay offended at people and hate people if you want to be victorious in spiritual warfare. Because if you're walking in hatred, John calls it walking in darkness, and not walking in love towards your fellow man, you will not be effective in spiritual warfare. Doesn't matter what you do, it won't work. Go back to Ephesians 6. So without abiding in love, you will be, not be connected to the supernatural power of God that maintains the armor and enables you to be victorious. You must remain connected. You must abide. You must walk in love and believe the love that God has towards you. Ephesians chapter 6. So we're told to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We said that word power there means vigor, dominion, and strength. The word might means force and ability. So in this verse, we are commanded to be empowered and filled with God's supernatural power and the strength of his ability. Put on some of the armor of God. A few pieces of the whole armor of God. Put on all of it, the whole armor of God. This is Christianity, not a nudist colony. A lot of people are so focused on what people wear to church. Are they covered up? You can have that conversation all you want, but in the spirit, are you covered up? Or you got everything hanging out? You may think you are dressed and got armor on, but Satan knows, oh, no, they are butt naked. And you wonder why his attacks are so effective. It's because you're walking around like the emperor who has no clothes. You have to put on the whole armor of God if you want to be effective in this life. That you may be able to stand or withstand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. We'll get into it more again today, but we said Satan only has five strategies. Jesus revealed them to us in Mark chapter 4. It's affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things. And all five of those strategies are clothed in deceit. And part of the deception is thinking that you will never beat Satan's attack. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We said this word wrestle is a contest between two in which endeavors to throw the other and which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. This is a battle for dominion. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice how many times it says against. But this word here, against, in the Greek means face to face. So Paul is saying you are in face to face combat and conflict with the enemy. Whereof take unto you again the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, stand. Not just saying, well, I made it through, I'm still here. No, to stand victorious. Stand therefore, stand victorious therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, or in front of all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We talked about what those items are in the previous weeks. Then he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We talked about the last piece of the Roman armor is the lance that was on their back, so we could call this the lance of prayer. But also concerning where prayer is concerned, we'll get into this more as we do our 30 days of prayer starting next Sunday, and we have Friday night prayer this Friday at 7 p.m., so I expect to see you here praying. I heard a few amens, so I'll say that again. I expect to see you this Friday at Friday night prayer at 7 p.m. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, you need to pray. So make sure you're here on Friday. Look at your other neighbor and said, you already heard, so don't make me repeat myself. <laughs> so one of the things we're going to teach on in September, later on this month, is that there are many different types of prayer. And the thing is, if you try to operate in one type of prayer by another prayer rules, you're not going to get good results. How many of you know you can't play basketball by football rules? You can't play football by soccer rules. You can't play soccer by hockey rules. Why? Those are different types of sports. And the same way, there are different types of prayer that operate by different types of rules. So those are some of the things we're going to teach about this month. And on Wednesdays, we're going to start teaching how to pray for Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar. How to pray for Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar. But we'll get into that on a Wednesday. Y'all don't want to hear about that today. <laughs> so, praying with all types of prayer. And notice this is connected to warfare. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We must be effective in all of these areas. Now, I want to highlight a couple things the Lord put on my spirit to remind you of. The shield of faith. These shields were door-shaped and wide in width and long in length. A Roman soldier could completely fit behind their shield. The shield was made of multiple layers of animal skin and was extremely taut and durable. Every morning, the soldier would apply oil to a shield. This would prevent it from becoming brittle and breaking during war. So we know one piece of leather is really strong, but imagine several pieces of leather together. It says, you may quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The word quench means to quench by dousing or extinguish by drowning in water. 
Before soldiers went out to battle, they soaked their shields in water until they were completely water-saturated. If the shield was dry, it was possible for the shield to catch on fire due to the fiery arrows of the enemy. If the shield was water-soaked, then the flames would be extinguished even if the arrow penetrated the surface. These fiery darts were arrows that had a hollow point filled with flammable liquid that would cause them to explode on impact. The shield soaked in water would give double protection against those fiery arrows. So having a shield of faith that is freshly anointed and soaked in the word will cause the devil's attacks against you to have little impact. It doesn't mean Satan will not attack. He will attack. I promise you, Satan will attack. Don't think once you get saved, you just skip through the flowers and you don't have an enemy. You have an enemy. But if you have your shield out front working properly, there'll be a reality for you that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It didn't say it won't be formed. It didn't say they won't use it, they won't fire it. It said it won't prosper. It will not reach its intended result. Then it talks about the sword of the spirit. This word sword was for a long dagger-like weapon used for up-close combat. So your sword for up-close combat is the rhema word of God. It is a specific word for your situation. It's not like, oh, Satan, I got a Bible in my hand. Satan doesn't care you got a Bible in your hand or a Bible on your phone. He does not care. He knows the Bible too. He was there when it was written. So he doesn't care if you have your Bible in your hand or in your phone. He begins to care when you begin to read it or listen to it. He really cares when you say it. The sword of the Spirit is the spoken word of God. So this armor is also called by Paul the armor of light and the armor of righteousness. But the thing is, we treat our armor like it's some kitty armor. That we're going out to battle like this every day. I'm going to beat the enemy over the head. Hiya! Judo chop! I'm going to be effective. And this is how we treat our armor. And when the going gets tough, we just throw it down since this face stuff don't work. Go to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, let's start with verse 12. Notice how the prophet is describing the situation where he lives. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. And our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us. As for our iniquities, we know them. And transgressing in line against the Lord and departing away from God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving uttering from the heart words of falsehood, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth fails, and he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. So what he's describing, he says, there's no justice anywhere. 
The courts are corrupted. The system is rigged. All those who say they hate evil and resist evil make themselves a prey, and people want to kill them. It says we are a society full of liars. Our sins pile up and are multiplied. It is the culture to turn away from God, to depart from God, to oppress others and revolt. And the Lord saw it, and it depleased him that there was no judgment, there was no justice, there's no righteousness. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. God is always looking for an intercessor. He's always looking for somebody to pray for the wicked. He's always looking for someone to pray for their society, their city, their state, and their country and the world. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. He says, I got to do this myself because no one else can be bothered to pray. Notice what it says in verse 17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. That sounds familiar. And a helmet of salvation upon his head. That sounds familiar. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to the deals, according he will repay, fairer to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will pay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. So we love to quote verse 19, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up a standard against them. The enemy is going to be turned to flight, but the only way the enemy turns to flight is if there's a fight. Because God came in battle mode, the enemy ran away. He doesn't run if there's no fight. So the armor that the believer has is the very armor of God. The armor that God has given the believer is the same armor that he would wear into battle himself. Why is that important? Go to 1 Samuel 17, verse 37. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37. If you're newer here to faith, you find out really quickly we believe in this book. We will teach the book. And one of the things we teach everyone here is you're not supposed to believe the word of a preacher just because they said it. You're under no obligation to receive it unless they can prove it to you from the word of God. 1 Samuel 17, verse 37. David is standing before Saul because he says, I'm going to go fight Goliath. Saul calls to this guy and says, dude, you're 17. This guy's been killing people since he was a teenager. What are you going to do? So David begins to testify, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. You need to rehearse your testimonies. You need to rehearse your victory. Say, the same God that helped me beat cancer, the same God that helped me beat debt, the same God that helped me beat that problem in my family is going to help me be victorious in whatever I face today. Don't forget what God has done. Rehearse your victory and your confidence will rise. So this is what David is doing. And Saul said unto David, go, the Lord be with you. It gets really spiritual. He says, all right, force be with you. Go ahead. 
And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail. So Saul's like, well, at least I can give you my armor. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he said to go, for he had not proved it. And David said, I cannot go with these, for I approved them. And David put them off. What was wrong? David could not fit Saul's armor. It's too big for him. Saul was a tall guy. He was the tallest person in Israel. The armor did not fit David. But God's armor fits you. God's armor fits you. Your spiritual capacity for battle is greater than anything you've ever considered. And God gave you the very armor that he wears for victory, so he expects for you to get victory. God may send you into a tough situation, but don't go, well, what am I going to do? Win. Well, what am I going to do? Win. See, the church has to get as confident, bold, and cocky as some of the rappers in the world. If you have to pull out an old song and say, all I, all I do is win, then that's what you need to say. But when I walk in the building, everybody's hands go up. It's true because I want them giving God glory. You have to have confidence. You have to have boldness. We're not supposed to be Christians walking around going, woe is me, what's going on in my life? Forget that. You serve a risen Savior that beat death. You serve a Savior that beat all hell by himself and gave you the victory and moved on the inside of you. Act like it's true because it is. So what am I going to do in this problem? When? What are you going to do in this situation? When? Because all I do is You have to have that confidence. You have to have that boldness. So there are three things the Lord wants me to remind you of today so that you can walk in victory. Three things. You ready for them? Number one. Pick up your shield, because a lot of you threw it down. Number one, pick up your shield. Number two, dodge the vomit. Dodge the vomit. So if you're taking notes, write it down. Dodge the vomit. The vomit. <laughs> Number three, don't forget your sword. Number three. Don't forget your sword. Go to Luke chapter 18, verse 8. We'll walk through those three. Luke chapter 18, verse Verse 1 tells us that Jesus spoke a parable unto them. And the whole purpose of this parable was that men would always pray and not faint, not get tired of standing in faith in prayer. So as he concludes this parable, we'll probably get into that parable later on this month. At the end he says, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? This gives you some insight to the enemy's end time strategy. 
He's trying to do whatever he can to get people to depart from faith. Because he cannot take your shield from you. He can't walk up and grab your shield and run off. So what he's trying to do is to make you of your own accord throw your shield down. His strategy is to make you let go of your faith, to lose your faith. So let's go back to Mark chapter 4 and let me prove it. Think about it this way. Anything that's trying to sabotage your faith or your belief in God and his word is from hell. Anything that's trying to enlighten you or make you woke to not believe the word is from hell. He has a multi-strategy to make people leave faith. Mark chapter 4, verse 3. Hearken, pay attention, listen. Behold... There went out a sower to sow. We know this is the most important, par- most important parable of the Bible. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on the stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, but because it had no depth of earth, when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. So that means there's no evidence it was ever there in the first place. Go to verse 14, and Jesus begins to explain this parable. The sower sows the word. I'm preaching the word to you right now. Word is being sown into your heart. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. So these are people who believe what they hear. This word gladness means a shout. Not only do they believe it, they get happy about it, and they shout and praise God. And we see already that that causes immediate production. So when you receive the word of God, you should shout. You should praise God. If you want immediate production. If you want production to delay a little, just be quiet. And just look at me like, try your best, preacher. Bless me, preacher. See if you can make me happy, preacher. And have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction, which is pressure brought by circumstance, or persecution, which is pressure brought by people, arises for the what sake? Immediately they are what? So Satan sends pressure by circumstance and by people to get people to let go of the word or to let go of their faith. What happens when they let go of the word? Because of the pressure. So they become offended, which means here entrapped, enticed to sin, or to be tripped up. It means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom they ought to trust and obey. So what happens when they become offended? They leave their faith. The person now distrusts the word that he heard and deserts it because of pressure. Remember earlier in the parable, it says scorched away. So there's no evidence the word was ever there in the first place. 
That's how people can be on fire for God one day. Grow in the word one day. Go to church and be faithful and a couple years later it doesn't even look like they were ever saved. Pressure came and they gave up. They became offended and threw down their shield. Your shield is a defensive and offensive weapon. If you throw down your shield, how will you defend yourself? Because remember, the pressure's coming to make you drop your shield. Because Satan can't really get you the way he wants to get you if your shield is up. Remember, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So you may have some sickness hit your body that's from the enemy, and all of it does is manifest, manifest as a little cold, a little flu, and after a week, you're better. Do you really think that was the intent of the enemy? To make you miss a week of work? No, he's trying to kill you. We see attacks of the enemy and say, oh, that was light, that was nothing. No, it just couldn't work the way he wanted it to. Because of the mercy of God and your shield was up. But if you throw down your shield, he can get you where he wants to get you. Because you can't defend yourself. You may be standing in battle, but you can't defend yourself. So here comes all the fiery darts, the fiery arrows of the enemy. They pierce through, they explode on impact, and they engulf the victim in flames. And so you wonder why you consistently walk around with so much spiritual and emotional and soulish pain. It's because you threw down your shield. And now you're trying to live life as a burn victim. And if you have third degree burns, severe enough burns, everything you do hurts. You wonder, why is it so hard to come to church? Why is it so hard to sow? Why is it so hard to serve? Why is it so hard to lift my hands and worship? You are a burn victim. Because you threw down your shield. But you know what the Holy Ghost told me today? He's going to heal burn victims. You may have burns all over your spirit. The Holy Ghost said, I'm going to move today, and I'm going to heal burn victims. You need to pick up. Your shield. Because one of the things, well, let's go to 1 Peter first. We'll come there in a second. 1 Peter 5. Pick up your shield. Doesn't matter if you're here today listening to this message, listening online, or listening to the podcast or a CD later. The Holy Spirit can move right where you are and heal you of any burns that may be present in your soul or your spirit. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. First Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, stay alert. Because your adversary of the devil, as a roaring lion, doesn't say he is one, he tries to act like one, walks about seeking whom he may devour. If there's whoms he can devour, there are whoms he can't devour. Whom resists steadfast in the what? You can't resist the devil if you're not in faith. You cannot effectively resist the devil if you don't have your shield up. 
So that means if you don't have your shield up, Satan is pushing you around. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. So if your faith is not up, so that means you're not resisting the devil. That means he's not going to run from you. That means you're going to run from him. Satan should not turn you into a track star. Too many Christians are running from Satan every single day. And the Bible says he's supposed to run from you. But if you don't use your faith and put your faith up, you're going to run from him. The word resist means to stand against, to withstand, and to oppose. So if you throw down your shield, you have nothing to resist with. If you do not have your shield in place, Satan will not flee from you. If you throw down your shield, you will eventually run from him. Pick up your shield. Because if you throw down your shield, you're not just exposing yourself to the attack of the enemy, but also to those you are supposed to be shielding. There's a formation I saw in the Roman army. I'm not sure if they got the picture to be able to put it up. But there was a formation, because remember, those shields were large enough that they could stand behind. But what happened is, however large the regiment was, they would be next to each other with shields. So you couldn't come at them in the front. But those behind them had shields up, so you couldn't hit them from the top. And so it was like a tortoise formation, I think they called it. And so when they would move forward, nobody could get them. But what if one soldier threw down their shield? Not only is that one soldier exposed, so are other soldiers. See, holding up your shield is important because you could be exposing somebody else because you threw your shield down. Who are you supposed to be covering in faith, but you can't cover them because you got concerned about yourself and you threw down your shield? Who else is exposed because you don't have your faith up there? Your shield is not just for you, it's also for others too. Faith is not just for you, it's supposed to help other people too. Yes, you can start in faith, what can God do for me? But you got to get to a place to what can God do through me? Your faith is important more than just you and your four no more. Smyrna needs people of faith. Austell needs people of faith. This greater Atlanta area needs people of faith. And we must pick up our shield. Christianity is not a playground. It's a battleground. I saw Pastor Craig Rochelle share that this week. Christianity is not a playground. It is a battleground. So we need to stop treating it like it's a playground, that nothing we do matters. No. Life and death is decided by your daily actions. One of the things I teach my ministers to do, that anytime they stand before this holy desk, that you preach the word of God as accurate as possible, because people make life and death decisions based on what comes out your mouth. What you do every day, your prayer life, your word life, how you speak the word determines how life manifests for you or how death manifests. Because the power of life and death is in the power of the tongue. Which leads me to number two, dodge the vomit. Pick up your shield and dodge the vomit. I don't know about you. 
But if I see someone about to throw up, I'm not going to go, hit me. I want to know everything you just ate. I want all those chunks to fly over me. No, I'm going to step to the side. Then I'll pray for the healing, but I'm not about to get splattered. But spiritually, a lot of us are getting vomited on every day. And we keep positioning ourselves to receive more vomits. Revelation 12.10 calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. So he is always accusing believers, calling them names, and breathing out his lies like a flood. Verse 9 says he goes out to deceive the whole world. So stop putting yourself in position to receive his lies. Stay out of that comment section. If you want to know what spiritual vomit looks like, it's in the comment section on Facebook. And we go, ooh, what does the vomit look like today? Ooh, Tex-Mex. I'm trying to be as gross as possible so it echoes through your mind all week long. Stay away from the vomit. And stop believing what Satan says about you. And stop believing what he says about your past. Because your past doesn't exist anymore. So you try to move forward in God and Satan says, what are you doing? Do you know how much weed you smoked? You smoke more than all of Colorado put together. What do you think you can serve God? Do you know how much you drank? Does your liver even work anymore? What do you mean you're trying to live holy? Don't you mean, remember all the people you slept with? Don't you remember all the people you looked at naked online? What do you mean you're trying to guard your thoughts? What do you mean speak the word? Don't you know all the people you cussed out? You were creative with your cussing. People had never been cussed out until they met you. What do you mean you're trying to serve God? Reminding you about your past. Whether your past was 30 years ago or three minutes ago, it is your past. You cannot listen to the enemy. Because all that is is, and you start believing it. So, well, maybe I can't serve God. Maybe my past is too bad. That's a slap in the face of the blood of Jesus. Because the blood dealt so well with your past, your present, and your future, when God sees you, he sees you as pure and as perfect as Jesus himself. Your past does not matter anymore. It does not even exist. So when Satan tries to bring up your past, I want you to be a good politician. I do not recall. We have an email. I do not recall. Here's the video and the audio. I do not recall. That's what you need to do. So what do you mean I do not recall? I remember. No, you are not recalling it to the present. I'm not going to acknowledge that it happened. Because as far as I'm concerned, as Jesus is concerned, as the Holy Ghost is concerned, as the Father is concerned, and the angels in heaven, didn't happen. So why would I agree with your vomit, Satan? 
That also means you need to stop hanging around people that always bring up your past. Because you're putting yourself in a position to be vomited on. You know, it's sad, but not everybody can go with you where you're going. There are some people you're going to have to leave behind. God may bring them back to you later, but you've got to move forward. And you have to be okay with walking alone for a season. But the thing is, if you're part of this faith family, you're never alone. We're here for you. We have faith groups for you. So even if you have to leave a previous lifestyle or community of sin, you can walk into a new one of faith that's going to hold you up to you're strong enough to stand on by your own. You got to move forward. You can't believe what Satan says about you. You can't believe about your past. You can say, well, my family brings up my past. Well, spend limited time at Thanksgiving. They said, well, aren't you staying a few extra days? Like, no, pastor really needs to see me at church on Sunday, so I got to start going back now. Just put it on me. Since pastor's expecting to see me in that seat, I got a special seat he's got to be in. (laughs) Don't put yourself in a position to get vomited on. Don't believe his lies. James 4.11 tells us not to speak evil of one another. It's also translated, don't slander one another. Let's go to Matthew 7. Pick up your shield and dodge the vomit. Matthew 7 verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. But with the same judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with this measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. We all love Luke 638 when it comes to money. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shake and get it run over. Shall men give into your bosom? They're like, yes, Jesus, we like that. But the same way that works with money, it works with judgment. It works how you judge people. You know, everybody loves that scripture. Judge not lest you be judged. It does not talk about judging righteously or judging the fruit. It's not talking about that. It's talking about judging and condemning people. You know, the Bible also says, who, who are you to judge another man's servant? Because with the same way you judge others, it's how you will be judged. The same words you speak about others are what they're going to say about you. The same measure of your judgment is what coming back to you. You say, oh, I just got so many haters. No, you spoke hate, so it came back to you in the form of haters. You received a hundredfold return. You're trying to go for promotion. Oh, these people are talking bad at me. Maybe that's because you talked bad about your supervisor before and it manifested in people blocking your promotion. You're getting a hundredfold return of what you give. So just sold the right things so you can get what you want, not the other side of that judgment. Because the thing is, it's not just the words you say, it's also the words you tweet. You can have what you tweet. You can have what you snap. You can have what you post. So why well, I just got to say something. No, you don't. Well, people are not going to know what I have to say. That might be a good thing. You know, Proverbs says a person looks smart until they open their mouth. So you can be stupid on air and be silent. People think you're a genius. 
You don't got to post about everything. Your life does not have to be a hashtag. Everybody does have to know every single thought that comes in your head. And please don't let people know when your house ain't happy. Lord have mercy. Stop saying, well, my husband did this, my wife did this, my kids did this. They do not need to know that. Because most of the people on your social media feeds aren't going to start praying for you. They're going to start judging you. So stop putting it out there. If you got to tell anyone it, tell Jesus. Have long conversations with him. Tell people who are actually pray for you. Don't put your business out there. You're just causing, you're sowing wind to reap the whirlwind. We'll talk more about this when we do our family series in October. But we got to be wise. She said, be gentle as doves, but wise as serpents. Watch your mouth. Because what happens when you begin to judge others, judge unrighteously specifically, you will create a situation in your future that will put you in the same type of circumstance you judge someone in, and then you're going to make the wrong decision, and your own words will judge you. So watch how you judge others, because it's going to come back to you. Because Jesus also said in Luke 6, if you give mercy, it'll come back to you. You need to sow mercy. You don't always have to tell people your opinion on things. I remember one time I was a teacher in the school of ministry, and some of the students came up to me and says, hey, what do you think about this? It was a certain man of God who was doing things that I personally would not do because I thought it looked bad on the name of the Lord. And so I said, because I'm training you in ministry, I will answer this question, don't you ever do that. But I would never say it publicly because I'm not putting my mouth on a man or woman of God. Because even if they mess up, if I'm not their spiritual authority to correct them, I have no business saying anything unless I'm praying for them. Because who am I to judge another man's servant? They're not my servant. They are the servant of God. And if God needs to check his servant, he will check his servant. But up until that point, I have no connection to that person. So I'll teach you, don't you do that. And besides that, Jesus, they're yours. I need you to intervene. It's not your job to go run in your mouth. Well, I'm an American. I can say what I want to say. Yes, you can, and you can die like Americans die. So, yeah, when in Rome, do what Romans do and die like Romans do. You can be either more obsessed with the American culture or the culture of the kingdom. It's not the same thing. You pick what culture you're going to follow. This is Christianity, not the cultures that were created by Christians. You have to follow what the word says. Your mouth is a weapon, so watch your mouth. Your mouth is a weapon, so watch your mouth. So pick up your shield, dodge the vomit, and don't forget your sword. Remember Ephesians 6.17 told us the sword of the Spirit is the word of God? It's not just the words you read, but the word that comes out of your mouth, the word that you speak. Three times in the book of Revelation, it speaks of the sword that comes out of Jesus' mouth, which is the word of God. In the same way, you have a sword that comes out of your mouth. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 that he fights with the sword that comes out of his mouth. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Pick up your shield, dodge the vomit. Don't forget your sword. Say, pick up your shield, dodge the vomit, and don't forget your sword. 
Matthew 4, 1. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The Holy Ghost led Jesus to a fight. The Holy Ghost will lead you to fights. But if he leads you to a fight, no, he knows you can win. So have confidence that the Holy Ghost leads you to a tough situation that you may not even want to be in personally. No, that means it's, you're going to win. There's going to be a victory and it's going to bless more people. But imagine this confidence that Jesus grew in because he grew in confidence just like us. If he beat Satan at the very beginning of his ministry, everything else is easy. So all the other demons that show up, dude, I beat your master. What are you going to do? Confidence. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. How many of you would be hungry if you didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights? Some of you are hungry right now. You haven't eaten for an hour and a half. Some of you have been sneaking snacks trying to eat while I'm preaching, and you're already hungry. <laughs> Imagine 40 days and 40 nights. So this is when Satan comes to attack at the worst opportune moments. Come on, some of us get hangry when we don't eat. Anybody like that, you can get hangry? That is a weak moment. You know that if you're going to walk in love, you need to put some food in your mouth. So imagine Jesus at this weak moment, fasted 40 days, 40 nights, Satan comes to attack through temptation. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if you be the son of God, he's questioning his identity. Command that these stones be made bread. He's bringing pressure based on the circumstance. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How did Jesus battle the enemy? He said, it is written. You can only say it is written if you know where it was written. You can say, I think it's written somewhere, or was that the Bible, was that Benjamin Franklin, or was that Jay-Z? I'm not sure, but somewhere I heard something recently. It sounded good, so it might have been Jesus. The only way you know is if you open the word of God, you can see where it says, and then you can speak to your circumstance of the enemy. It is written. What was that? The sword. Slicing the enemy. So Satan continues to tempt him. Remember the Bible says he was tempted in every way like we were. What happened in verse 11? Then the devil leaves him. Another gospel, uh, one of the other gospels says he leaves him for a season. And behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Why did Satan leave? Because he got frustrated? No, he was wounded. He had to take a break. He had to go recover. So there will be seasons where there's no attack because you've wounded the enemy so. But don't get lax. Don't get lazy. Pick up your shield. Dodge the vomit and don't forget your sword. Remember Isaiah 59, 19. It says it in a few different translations. The New Living Translations says, For he, the Lord, will come like a raging flood tide driven by the breath of the Lord. The Amplified Version says, For he will come like a narrow rushing stream which the breath of the Lord drives, overwhelming the enemy. The Amplified Classic Edition says, When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him and put him to flight, for he will come like a rushing stream which the breath of the Lord drives. So when you're fighting the enemy, your shield's in place, you're resisting the enemy, you're not in this by yourself. Because you got to think, Deion, if you can stand up, he's stronger than me, weighs more than me. He can easily push me back. But what if 
I had 30 people at my back. He may be strong, but he can't move me. I can move him. Thank you, sir. The wind of the Holy Ghost backs the believer. And if you stand with your shield and your sword in hand, the wind of God can back you up and Satan can't push you over. You're not supposed to be a pushover. You're supposed to be able to plant your feet and stand strong. Remember Genesis 2-7 says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Psalm 33-6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. And John 20, 22, Jesus breathed on the disciples and they received the Holy Spirit. It is not just by God breathing that he breathes on us or the wind of the Spirit comes upon us. Because when you speak, you breathe, right? How many of you can speak without breathing? No, that ain't going to work. When God speaks, he breathes. So every time God speaks to you, he's breathing on you. That's why you have to spend time in word and prayer every day to receive the breath of the Holy Ghost. That's going to enable you to stand against whatever Satan throws your way that day. That's why you have to consistently come to church because the wind of God is moving, backing you up, putting some air in your sails. That's why you should listen to a message every single day. Keep yourself in a position where the wind of the Spirit can have your back. Keep yourself in a position for the wind of the Spirit to back you up. Go to Ezekiel 37. We'll close here. Ezekiel 37. Pick up your shield, dodge the vomit, and don't forget your sword. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. Ezekiel has an encounter with the Lord. The Lord takes him away in the spirit and shows him a vision. It's a valley which was full of bones. Then he calls me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And he answers like a lot of good Christians answer, oh, well. Only Jesus knows. Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones. Say something to them. O you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring upon, up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. In context, he's talking about the restoration of Israel. But the principle is still seen. So I prophesied as I was commanded, 
And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone, and I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. When God breathes, what is dead comes to life. Open your mouth and declare the word of God. When you use your sword in your situation, the spirit of God can and will breathe on your circumstance. But it comes as you open your mouth and you say something. You have to be speaking the word of God continually. Not just on Sunday. Not just when you feel spiritual. Every day. All day. When something comes against you, you need to say the word only. Give access for the Holy Spirit to move on your situation. Because remember, the Holy Ghost was hovering over the waters in the beginning, but nothing happened until God said something. You're created in his image and likeness. Nothing will happen in your situation until you say something. God loved you so much, he sent his only begotten son. But it didn't affect your life until you said something. That's how you are born again. You believed in your heart and you said something. You want things to change in your life? It works the same way. You need to believe in your heart and you need to say something. And the wind of God can blow on your situation. You're feeling weak? Say something. Say what the word of God says. That you can do all things through Christ which gives you strength. Say that you're more than a conqueror through him that loved you. Say greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You need to say the word of God. Don't forget your sword. You're not in this by your Self. There is the wind of the Holy Ghost that's available to you, that's blowing through this place right now. How do I know that? I'm saying something. I'm saying what he told me to say. And so you know what he's doing? He's moving. Because he moves in line with his word. It's not based on feeling. It's not based if you saw something or you felt something. It's because he's faithful to that book. And so when you say something, he'll move. Whether you see it or not, have confidence he's moving and you're going to win. But victory can only happen consistently if victory is in your mouth consistently. If you speak defeat and loss, that is what you're going to have. You are the prophet over your own life. Yes, we believe in prophets. It's a gift from God. But you don't need a prophet to come by and prophesy over your life to make your life right. You can open your mouth and make your life right. What did God tell Joshua in Joshua 1.8? That he's supposed to meditate the word or mutter or say the word again, again and again. And it says, you will make your way prosperous. A lot of you are praying, God, make my way prosperous. And God's saying, make your own way prosperous. I gave you every 
everything you need to prosper in every area of life. Open it, read it, say it. And expect God to back you up. So stand to your feet. Pick up your shield. Dodge the vomit. And don't forget your sword. When the Holy Ghost moves, you're supposed to acknowledge him. Supposed to recognize him. And I already said he's moving. So lift your hands right now and acknowledge him. Thank him for moving. Say you are welcome in this place, sir. Ask him to breathe upon your situation right now. Ask him to move upon your situation right now. And he will. As I said before, he's healing burn victims right now. You've been burned by the attack of the enemy. He's healing you right now. He heals broken hearts. It's a specialty. He's a shepherd, so he's going to restore your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions right now. He's healing bodies right now. Receive from him. Let him restore you. Let him put you back exactly where you're supposed to be. Whether you feel like your life is a bunch of dry bones, now it can all come together again by the spoken word of the Lord. Oh, Father, I feel your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I ask that you breathe on them in a fresh way right now. I prophesy, wind of the Spirit, blow on them now in the name of Jesus. Dave, and sing something from your spirit. Breathe on me. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.